Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in ways that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise in the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I want to welcome you to the May 24th episode of the bull bear banter. As usual, I'm joined by Cheyenne Dunham, and she's going to give us an update on how the markets did this week. Well, Tom, Friday afternoon, July corn closed up 14 and a half at 404 and a quarter. That was up 21 cents for the week. December corn closed up 11 and three quarters cent at 419 and three quarters. That was up 21 and a half cent for a week. We did touch that 420 mark just briefly right before the markets closed. Looking at soybeans, July soybeans closed up eight and a quarter. That was at 829 and three quarters. That was up eight cents for the week. So about what they gained today was our week on week difference. For November soybeans, they closed up eight at 856 and a quarter. That was up about nine cents for the week. So I think the biggest thing that took us all by surprise was not only how much grain went up today, but the fact that we were able to keep that up throughout the day and throughout the close, even bumping up a couple more just at the very end. Normally when you go into a Friday afternoon, the funds get a little shaky, a little questionable. They really want to, you see a lot of sell-off is a little more common thing. So not only were we going into a weekend, but we're going into a three-day weekend. Markets are going to resume trading Monday night. So it'll be interesting to see if we keep this momentum going into next week or if this was kind of a one-and-done sort of deal. Well, Cheyenne, I think the big story this week is the ongoing concern about the lack of progress for corn planting, especially in the eastern corn belt. Illinois and Indiana both gained a little ground last week, but when you compare those numbers to either last year or the five-year average, they are way behind. Illinois is now estimated at 24% as of last Sunday, but that compares to last year's numbers of 95% and an average number of 89%. Indiana is in a similar boat at 14% complete versus 86% last year and 73% on average. For comparison, Iowa was estimated at 70%, versus last year at 83% and an average of 89%. And there are several in this office anyway that think maybe that 70% was a little low in Iowa. Nationally, USDA estimated 49% complete versus 78% last year and 80% on average. Now we all hear about that one guy that knocked out a few thousand acres in a few days in central Illinois, but for the most part, as late as it's getting, the issues start to pile up quickly. More rain in the forecast, lack of short season corn supply, concerns about diseases, etc. You know, it really wasn't that long ago that I was thinking we're in for a long summer of low prices, but that has certainly changed rapidly in the past two weeks. We'll talk more about that in the next section. Well, Tom, looking at those bull bear factors for corn on the bull side, we've been encouraging our listeners to check out the prices for 2020, and this week showed an opportunity to price some corn for March delivery at the magical $4 number. We had many, many people take advantage of that one, which was good to see. We also saw December corn futures push through a fairly substantial resistance level of 405. We hadn't been above that level since the middle part of last December. Now, you have to think that it becomes more of a support level, especially as it traded up through the 410 this week. A last piece of support for the corn market is the ongoing rainy pattern in the forecast. If we continue to see another week of poor planting progress, the market will continue to be supported. For bear news, on the corn side, it's really starting to get hard to find too much uh, bearish news to talk about. But one item that sticks out to me is the growing ethanol stocks number. The EAI report showed an increase of about 48.5 million gallons, up to 983 million gallons. That's 5.8% higher than the same time last year. 
About the only other thing to talk about is a chart that made the rounds earlier this week comparing the recent action in corn with a similar chart from 2016. Both years track July corn futures and show an eerily similar pattern from January through the end of March. However, in 2016, we started a pretty decent climb in early April, eventually gaining about 80 cents through the middle of June. But then, in about three weeks, we lost over a dollar. There was a little bit of a rebound with a 30 cent bounce, but all in all, not a pretty picture. This isn't to suggest we're going to see the exact same thing this year, but it does give me pause to consider just how far we've come up in a short period of time. Just be careful. Well, Tom, I couldn't tell you the last time trying to pick out the bull factors for soybeans didn't feel like drawing the short straw, but the big news this week is the announcement from the Trump administration about the market facilitation payments for the 2019 crop year. When some of the details were leaked out earlier in the week, soybean prices turned lower. Now, we'll talk about the potential for as much as $2 per bushel payout on soybean acres. The market is trying to come to grips with what that will mean for the overall supply of beans and the resulting carryout. But for now, the good news is that we have a little more information about the program. The other continuing bullish story for soybeans is the record U.S. crush pace we're on. We'll see some new NOPA numbers in the next couple of weeks, but it sounds like for the most part, soybean processors have been continuing to crush at high rates. For the bear factors, I agree with you that it is good to see some details starting to emerge about the market facilitation program. But how this will actually happen remains to be seen. With language like, payments will be made in up to three tranches, with the second and third tranches evaluated as market conditions and trade opportunities dictate, it's really hard to make a solid economic decision for the farmers. Should I switch some acres to soybeans as the planting window gets smaller? Maybe. That's about the best answer we see today. Speaking of which, we will have another bonus interview at the end of today's podcast. Kent Klingbeil will be back with us discussing soybean seed maturities and what to do if you're feeling like time is slipping away from you. It's a good interview with a lot more information, and we just encourage you to stay tuned for it. I think the last bearish factor I want to discuss is the ending stocks number. No, not the 900 million bushels plus that we were expecting for the end of this current crop year, but the potential to see a 1 billion plus number at the end of the 1920 crop year. If we do indeed see acres switching because of the potential for a large government payment, that will definitely impact cash prices as the ending stocks number grows. Tom, looking at why this matters, this week was a good example of staying the course, keeping offers in above the market, and letting the market rally help you get some good sales on the books. As mentioned earlier, the $4 March delivery special earlier this week was probably one that most people didn't see coming, but were in a position to take advantage of. There were also quite a few that felt like maybe they should have sold more, so ended up leaving an offer for that time frame and price. And then others that either don't have on-farm storage or couldn't take advantage of the March delivery time frame for one reason or another, put in offers in the 375-380 range for harvest delivery. Depending on the location, some of those were filled as well. So we're going to continue to encourage you to leave offers and or forward contract some corn while this board is up at these levels. As we talked earlier, there are several people trying to make comparison to various other years, but that July 2016 corn chart is getting a lot of attention. If we get the crop planted and if the weather turns back to more conducive to growing a big crop, this rally could evaporate pretty quickly. We don't want you to be in the group of people looking back six months from now and asking, why didn't I sell more when I could have? Thanks, Cheyenne. In the what to watch for in upcoming events, as normal this time of year, all eyes will be on the planning progress reports on Monday afternoons. For the time being, this will be the most important piece of news driving the markets one way or the other. As we mentioned earlier, stay tuned for an interview with one of our regional sales managers. 
Kent will be talking about nitrogen concerns, soybean planting, and prevent planting. We think there's some very good info in there for all of you. Last, but certainly not least, enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. Whatever your plans are for the holiday, here's hoping you take a few moments to remember those that have gone before us. In conclusion, we'd like to just once again appreciate uh, you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter as part of the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast. We look forward to your comments and questions. Just drop us an email to podcast at landiscooperative.com. And if you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Hi, this is Ashley, Grain Marketing Advisor for the Northeast Region, and I'm back again this week with Regional Sales Manager Kent Klingbeil. Kent, I'm excited to talk to you today, but this time let's focus on soybeans. Sure, you bet. Some things that I'd like to cover today include soybean seed selection, maybe some nitrogen concerns, as well as prevent plant. So let's start back at the beginning with soybean seed selection. What can you recommend for, you know, we're getting later in the season as far as maturity goes. Tell us what you as an agronomist would recommend to some of your customers. Sure. So we have to think about soybeans are a little bit different than corn. And so we always jump to corn that we're going to jump back maturity. So we talked a little bit about that last week. We don't want to move too much. But with soybeans, it's a little bit different, right? So soybeans are all about photo period, and they really need sunlight. So they just look at the sun and figure out when they're going to flower. And we don't need to change maturities, and you really don't want to move earlier because actually what it's going to do is going to shorten up that soybean's life cycle, and we really want to be extending it as far as we can. So in some situations, you'll actually see people like plant later maturity beans as you move later in the season because you want to push out that photo period so then you can get more pods, more nodes, and be able to produce more yield. So the common thing is to always jump early, but you don't want to do that with soybeans. So right now I'm still really comfortable with planting whatever you have in the shed and what you're planning on. I mean, and that would go clear in the middle of June. I wouldn't change anything. Okay. So really the exact opposite of corn. Correct. Okay. So let's jump into nitrogen concerns. Let's talk about, you know, these guys maybe put nitrogen on before season or even maybe last fall. You know, what does that look like? What do we have left, are you thinking? And then should we be thinking about some, you know, in-season application? You bet. So I was just um, putting together an article about that, our variable nitrogen applications and how we could look at the nitrogen we have on. A um, few thoughts in my head as we talk through it would be, if you did fall nitrogen, you know, it's been pretty cool. So our ammonia probably hasn't converted. So we still have a lot of nit- nitrogen in ammonium form. And so it hasn't converted to nitrate. If you didn't use a nitrogen stabilizer in the fall, I'd be a little more concerned. So make sure you had a nitrogen stabilizer in. And then, so we flip then to spring nitrogen. So if you put in hydroson three weeks ago, it really hasn't converted much. And so I'm not overly concerned if you're 100% in hydrous. Now we're gonna continue to get more rain, so it starts to be more of a concern because it's starting to convert now, the soil's warming up. If you didn't use nitrogen stabilizer, I'd be really concerned. Um, Not as many people use those in the spring, even though they should, because ultimately nitrogen is used in July. And it doesn't really matter if it was fall or spring, you're putting on nitrogen, you need a nitrogen stabilizer. I do think there's some concern there um, with that, especially if they watch this range over the next week. You know, we're approaching, you know, if people talk we're gonna get five to 10 more inches, you know, and all of a sudden it's the middle of June, our corn's gonna look pretty tough. And so looking at top dress applications of urea, it's probably gonna be a big thing. And the way the market moves with the grain market, if corn goes up more and no one, the other states don't get planted, we really need to grow 250 bushel corn. And so split applications of nitrogen are how we're gonna do that. And so tell us, you know, what should farmers be looking for, you know, color patterns, et cetera, sure. when they're scouting? You're probably going to see a lot of 
rough looking corn, right? We planted a lot of tough conditions. There's going to be a lot of yellow corn. We're going to have purple corn because it's cool. Um, we won't be able to process all the starches and sugars in the plant. Not a big deal. Um, a lot of times those first things you're looking at are actually sulfur deficiencies just because the ground's so cool and the plant doesn't have a lot of root underneath it. And so once we get the roots grown and the plants start growing, they usually kind of come out of that, but it's still a concern. So um, don't pull, jump the gun too quick on that just because, in my opinion, unless you're running starter fertilizers and stuff, your corn's probably going to look a little tough um, for a few weeks. All right, so now let's move on. You know, looking at the forecast, it looks like there's more rain. So let's talk about prevent plant a little sure. bit. And, and something that I've heard a ton in my conversation is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to book my soybeans because I don't know if they're going in the ground. Yeah. Um, so if you would just touch on, first of all, how does a farmer even come to the conclusion that prevent plant is best for me? You know, we talked about last week's economics, right? What do you have purchased? You know, back to the supplier. Um, what are you looking at? You know, I was driving through our territory in the Northeast the other day, and we're driving by corn stock fields with ammonia already put on them. I mean, they're going to go to corn. And if you look at the prevent plant and the guidelines that you sent me today, and you look through that, you could still plant corn on June 10th and have a pretty good insurance guarantee. And it's probably going to be better than prevent planting it. You already have the seed. You already have all the inputs in. You're already going to be there. And economics-wise, you're probably going to be better off to plant corn and be that situation. So ultimately it's going to come down to when we get in the middle of June, when we hit those some of those dates and corn starts, insurance guarantee starts ratcheting down, then it's going to start looking at, well, what are we going to do? We can plant beans. And then you have time, because if you look at this chart, we can run all the way into July and plant soybeans and still have some insurance guarantees. And so in my opinion, you know, jumping to prevent plant, it kind of depends on every operation and what they got going on and how much they got to go. Um, treated beans and all those things. Um, if you are looking at moving maturities around, one thing, um, Lannis Cooperative covers a large territory, so we have a lot of seed within our whole company. And so if you're ever thinking about moving around on seed maturities or varieties or something, we have lots of options with that. Prevent plant. Um, I think the other thing, I've had a few questions on what crop do you go to and prevent plant. In my opinion, it's still planting beans. It's still just prevent planting beans as a cover crop and not harvesting them. Just because you probably already haven't purchased, there probably be some beans in the system. Just with if a lot of people don't plant, there might have to be a lot of beans around. So it'd be probably pretty easy to access. Or you can go to oats or rye. Um, but you get a lot of trash and stuff going on. And if you are not don't have a situation where you can get rid of that stuff and are not used to it, it gets a little bit difficult sometimes. So lots of things going into it. So Definitely. A big conversation. And what would you say maybe is the biggest risk or drawback to a farmer that says, I'm just going to, you know, plant, prevent, plant. Um, It's not worth my inputs anymore. What's his biggest risk or drawback look like? You know, his his risk, like if he doesn't plant a cover crop and just leaves them fallow, I mean, there can be fallow ground syndrome. You know, you have a lot of things going on. You're going to lose soil. You're going to lose, and you're going to have a lot of weeds growing out there too. I mean, you're going to have costs involved just keeping the weeds down. If you just let a field go, and let up, you know, all the weeds grow. I mean, you're literally going to turn around 10 years on your weed bank is what's going to happen. You're going to grow a lot of weeds and it's going to be, you're going to fight it for the next 10 years. And so, and that could work into the next generations of people are going to be fighting that. So um, that's one of them, you know, just the different things going on. You can, you can track a lot of bugs and other pests and a lot of the things going on when you have a lot of random stuff growing out in the field. But um, lots of different concerns about that, but for each operation it's a little bit. Gotcha. Well, Kent, that's pretty much all I had for you. Is there anything else you are hearing, touching on that you'd like to comment on? Um, I would say your variable rate nitrogen thing is a big one. I think just nitrogen and and 
that whole piece, a lot of people will be asking that question in the next few weeks. And so make sure you reach out to your Landis Field Sales agronomist for any more information. They'd be glad to kind of help walk you through our options and kind of if there's any other option to prevent plant or using soybeans as a cover crop or whatever that is, we'd be glad to help. All right. Well, thanks, Kent. I so appreciate your time today again this week and hopefully look forward to talking to you more in the podcast in the future. You bet. Anytime.